Good morning, good morning. So I was uh, having a conversation with Sam Hummerkhouse earlier today. I said, so have you ever, like on the, one of the first days of school, walked into the wrong classroom? And he said, yes, I hated it. And I said, yeah, me too, I have too. So right now in my mind, I'm picturing those kindergartners going to their, to their three to five classrooms and being like, this is not right. But eh, they'll get over it, it's fine. Well, good morning. <laughs> Real quick before we jump in, I do want to say, um, reminder to the sixth grade parents, those of you who have sixth graders coming up, we do have a really, really short meeting in the fellowship hall just to sort of introduce the ministry, the youth ministry and such like that. So after the business meeting, after service, we'll just get together for a few minutes. I just want to make sure you guys are on the same page with communication and all that good stuff. So like I said, just right after that meeting, we'll meet for uh, just a few minutes. So. If you all would, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 42, and we're going to dive into our last psalm of of our series for the summer. And while you're turning there, I don't know if any of you noticed something special that's been happening on the southwest side of the building. Um, If you didn't, go out and check it out. The church window installation has begun, and it looks great. Absolutely. So the installers were able to knock out four windows on Saturday. And so that's, uh, or four sections of windows. And so they'll be coming a a few days a week to just work at it a little bit at a time. So it's really exciting. Um, If you guys want, if you have a chance, go into the youth room. It is a completely and uh, utterly different view as you step in and look at that. Um, We've still got some of the old windows in the cafe. So if you want to look there first and then look into the youth room, it's a really great, great experience to see that that stark difference. So it's exciting. Things are coming along and and we'll be so excited to have that for for whenever, whenever we're finished. So... Well, hopefully you've gotten to Psalm 42. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read it for us, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll jump in. All right? Let's, let's read. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon to Mount Mizar. Deep calls out to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? And with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, you are faithful. Your word is true. Your word has given us hope. Lord, as we study these pages, as we learn and process what that means, God, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word. In your son's name, amen. 
Well, as some of you know, um, Megan and I had the privilege of serving in the Philippines at an orphanage as well as a, a medical home for kids basically birth to 18 years old. And in the medical home, it was kind of hard for us to get to know the kids a little bit um, as, as well as we did in the orphanage because they were so in and out. You know, they would come um, for, for treatments and then they would leave a couple months later. And so there was a lot of, lot of turnover. And a lot of these kids had leukemia that were actually in, in the medical home. And one of those sweet girls was named Genevieve. Genevieve was a 14-year-old who had stayed in our medical home while she received those treatments for leukemia. You know, um, what would often happen is that the kid would stay with us while the parents would go back to their village hours away and continue to take care of the rest of the family or continue to work to provide. They, they, would, um, they would go there while the kid was able to stay with us. We would take them to doctor's appointments and such like that just to sort of allow the parents to be able to continue to care for their other kids in the family. And so Genevieve was one of those kids. And she went through her months of treatments and was officially in remission. And it was great because she got to go home a short while later and everyone was so excited for her. But the news came a little while later that leukemia had come back. And it, it wasn't something that was a surprise because we all knew that, that, that there was that possibility of it coming back. Well, soon after, she passed away. Again, we weren't shocked, but we were heartbroken. You see, I don't, <laughs> I don't tell us this story this morning to sort of make us gloom and sort of like miserable for the rest of the day. I tell us this story for this one reason right here. It's because it was one of the loudest instances in my life where I felt this very real, very heavy sense that something was not right in the world. Death is one of those things that tells us something's not right. You see, when Adam sinned in Genesis chapter 3, the whole world was infected with the effects of sin. And death is a reminder of that effect of sin. Not only death, though. There's other things as well. Things like cancer or addictions, failed marriages, conflict between people, loneliness, abuse. We've all experienced some or many of these things because we live in a world marred by sin. What, what should be our response, though? That's kind of the question that I want to ask us today. What should be our response? I think in general, our culture, what we are in our natural response is one of these things to ignore it, to get angry, to self-medicate with substance or shopping or fill in the blank, or to wish it away. We try to push it away. But the question that, I, that kept coming to me was, is that how we, as Christ followers, should respond when sorrow hits, when grief hits, when stuff happens? What should our response be? I don't think it's the same as, as our natural response. Well, praise God that as, as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness. That means that God, through his word, has actually given us a right and good way to express and process the emotion of grief and sorrow. And that's awesome. In today's psalm, we're actually going to see what is, uh, what is a prayer that's called a lament. And I, I know for me, lament doesn't come up often in my vocabulary. Usually if like, my soccer team loses a game, I'll say the word lament. But that's about it. But a lament is this prayer. It's a prayer that we express 
to, to, or with the prayer that we pray to express sorrow or grief or, or in the case of God's word sometimes, to express regret for our sin, a deep regret. And so the lament in Psalm 42 is a lament of grief and sorrow. One thing that we need to understand about laments, though, is that it's not like this magical cure that promises to take away everything, on the, like, like, as if we're reciting it like, like, like a, a, an incantation. We'll notice that actually Psalm 42 repeats itself. He goes through the lament once, and then he goes through it again. And actually Psalm 43 does it a third time. So this lament is this re- repetition, because a lament is a prayer that aligns us towards Christ. It aligns us and reminds us to speak truth to ourselves. And in the middle of the sorrow, we need to do that over and over and over sometimes. So let's jump it in. Let's, let's see what, what a Christian lament, let's see what a, a lament looks like in God's word. I want you to look at the intro with me real quick. It says, to the choir master, a masquil of the sons of Korah. And normally, I don't know about you, but it, for me, I often skip over these things and go, oh, cool, it's instructions, whatever. But actually, it's really important for us to understand what's being said because it sort of shapes how we approach the psalm. The first thing is this, the sons of Korah. Well, the sons of Korah were a group of, of choral leaders and orchestra leaders in the tabernacle, and their job was to lead the congregation in music and in song. And so as the instructions apply, or excuse me, as the instructions imply, the psalm today was used in public worship and was sung. And then the second thing is that, that word maskil, which we still don't have an exact idea of what it means, but it actually comes from this Hebrew verb that means to instruct or to teach or to give wisdom. So putting those things together with the fact that this psalm is a lament, our psalm today is a song instructing us on how to lament. The worship leaders use this song to teach the congregations how to lament well. We do this today too, right? My teachers. In schools, if we want students to memorize or recall something, often we put it to a song, right? Think about how I'm sure almost every one of us learned the alphabet. We learned to the song. We learned to this tune, to this melody. This is the same thing here. In fact, a while back, Pastor David stood here and preached on Colossians 3, in which the Apostle Paul instructs this. He says, let the word of Christ live in us as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalm and hymn and spiritual songs. This is a common practice to teach us how to lament, or to teach in general, but today's is to teach us how to lament. And not just lament, but lament in the middle of suffering, of our sorrow and grief. And to point us to our ultimate hope in Christ. Therefore, there are four characteristics we're going to look at today of of lamenting well in the midst of sorrow. Is that all right? Just four? Mike usually does ten sometimes. Is that okay? (laughs) So the first one is this. In the middle of sorrow, cry out to God. Cry out to God. Look at verses one, and, 1 through 3 again. It says this, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. 
while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? I want to point out two things with, with this crying out to God. First, he runs to God, and second, he's honest with God. The first run to God. We see in that verse that his first instinct, when in the middle of sorrow, is to go right to God. He uses this analogy of a deer yearning for water to describe how much he yearns for God. After a long run on a hot day for me, the first thing I do, even before I come in and shower, is grab a huge glass of water and chug it back. I mean, I've been sweating like crazy, and now I need to replenish that. My body's like yearning for this. It, it, like, my, at some points, I even have this like, thought in my head of, I can't think of anything else but water, which probably at that point tells me I'm not doing things right. But anyway, this, this imagery that, that that's, it's picturing, that it's putting in us, I think it's a common tendency for us to shut ourselves off from God because of what's happening. Trying to push him away, trying to, trying to say, no, you're not going to deal with this. I just got to sit in this. But in doing so, do we realize that we're pushing away the one who is our beginning and end? Do we realize that we're pushing away our creator, our sustainer? Instead, church, let us run to God, our life giver, crying out to him for hope and help. Second thing I want us to notice about these, these verses is that we need to be honest with God about what we're feeling. Notice what he does in verse 3 again. He says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? The psalmist is telling God the source of his turmoil, the source of why he's in sorrow. We don't know the exact situation, but most commentators actually agree that he's sorrowful because he's been driven away from the tabernacle, and he, and he yearns, he desires to worship in the sanctuary again, but he can't because he's being pursued by enemies. He actually restates his turmoil in verse 7. Look at that. Deep calls out to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, at the breakers of your waves have gone over me. It's this imagery of chaotic water that he feels like he's in. If anyone has ever stood underneath a strong waterfall or at the wave break of, an, of the ocean at high tide, you know that pressure. You know that feeling of being sloshed back and forth. You know that feeling of the powerful waterfall hitting your body. The psalmist is saying he feels like he's trapped between a powerful, chaotic waterfall and the strong waves crashing over him. Again, in verses 9 and 10, he says, I, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. I mean, this, 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 these words are just words of his anguish. He's completely honest with God about what he's feeling. The psalmist doesn't hide anything from him. He expresses it to its fullest. This is, this is okay. God can take this. In fact, in our grief and sorrow, let's run to God and do the same thing. 1 Peter 5 tells us that we should cast our cares, cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us. Let us bring our concern before God's throne because there is no situation that God will be caused to stop caring about you. I know some might say, but Craig, you don't understand my issue of suffering. The reason why I'm this way is because it's my fault. Or maybe someone else is thinking, I'm used, I'm broken. He won't care about me anymore. Simply, this is not true, my friends. 
There is no situation that God, that will cause God to stop caring about you. Cry out to him in your sorrow. Bring your requests and your prayers to him. He cares for you. Our second thing, that, our second characteristic of a lament in our sorrow is this, that in our sorrow, remember God's faithfulness. Verse 4 says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs and praise, a multitude-keeping festival. In the middle of sorrow, the psalmist is reflecting on God's faithfulness in the past. He remembers past corporate worships where he was with others in the sanctuary. He's remembering that God was faithful to allow that to happen. Often in the Old Testament, God does this. He, he will command his people to do one thing or another to help them remember his faithfulness. He actually commanded the Israelites in Exodus to celebrate the Passover that they would remember his faithfulness. In the book of Joshua, he commanded the 12 tribes to place 12 stones as a memorial by the Jordan River to remind them of when he allowed them to cross on dry land as they go into the promised land. Folks, God is gracious. He knows that it's easy for us to forget the ways that he's provided for us especially in the middle of pain and sorrow. His, in his grace and his wisdom, he gives us ways to remember his faithfulness. While in the Philippines, um, I got to be the one who got to do the budget, which I say get to kind of sarcastically. It's not my favorite, but it's what I did because that was my job. But honestly, our support wasn't consistent. Things happen. Sometimes folks can't give that month, or maybe they forget, or some circumstance comes up. It just happens. But when I was making the monthly budget, I would often begin to get in stress mode because I realized, oh, we're not gonna make ends meet this month. Oh, this isn't coming in. I don't see how in the world this is gonna happen. And my beautiful, loving, patient wife would have to remind me every time that this started happening, she reminded me of God's faithfulness in the past, that he would do it again. In fact, um, when I began to stress out after a while, I, we, we would keep the old budgets just as part of the binder that we had. I would flip back and remind myself, these things are true. God came through every time. The same is true for us in our sorrow. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. There are tons of ways that we can do this. Keeping a prayer journal and writing out how the prayers were answered is a great way to do it. Or as a family, as you're sitting around the dinner table, talk to each other about what God had done, how God showed up, and how God was faithful to you throughout the day, or even throughout that week. Brothers and sisters, in the middle of sorrow and grief, let us remember God's faithfulness. Well, the third thing is this. In the middle of sorrow, preach the gospel to yourself. Look down at verse 5. He says this, and, and also notice that, again, it's repeated in verse 11. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God. The psalmist is preaching truth to himself. Hope in God. I will praise him again. He is my salvation. He is my God, and I am his, and he is mine. It's vital for us and that in the middle of grief that we preach truth to our souls. 
our tendency is to let that nagging voice in the back of our head talk to us and tell us what to feel or why we should feel it or how we should respond in it. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, uh, Spiritual Depression, actually said it this way. He said, you have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring you back to the problems of yesterday. Going on, he actually says this about Psalm 42. He says, instead of allowing this self to talk to him, the psalmist, he starts talking to himself. And he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's asking himself this. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, all right, soul, now you are going to listen to me because I'm going to tell you what's true. The psalmist is preaching truth to himself. And studying this week, this was utterly convicting to me because this is not something that I'm good at. This is not something that I thrive in, and I don't always preach truth to myself. I tend to overthink and overfeel. It has been only in the last few years that I've begun to really practice the art of preaching to myself, preaching truth to myself. Like, when I begin to feel upset, I have to preach to myself that my battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces at evil in this world, or at work in this world. When I feel worthless, I preach to myself that God formed me. He knitted me together, that God is sovereign, and he could have caused me to not be born, but he didn't. That means he's got worth, and he sees value in me. He's got purpose for me. When I mess up and feel like a failure and enter, the, enter blank here, I have to preach to myself God's love and deep, deep grace through Christ. Church, maybe you're not like me. Maybe you don't have that nagging voice in your head telling you what to feel. But whether you do or not, in a, in a, in a healthy Christian lament in the middle of sorrow, we have got to preach the truth to ourselves. The final characteristic is this. In our sorrow, hope in Christ. Again, look at verses 5 and 7 say this, why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God. He's reminding himself to hope in God, to hope in God's plan for salvation. Notice he's looking forward to this hope. It's important that we remember that the entirety of the Old Testament is looking forward to God's plan of salvation. They're looking expectantly for the Messiah that God has promised and the Messiah that would make all things right. In Genesis 3, God even told the serpent that he, the serpent, would bruise the heel of Eve's offspring and that her offspring, Christ, would crush his head, putting an end to sin and death. Even there, at the beginning, God gave us an expectant hope to look forward to. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people are looking forward with expectation to the Messiah. And in the New Testament, God reveals his Messiah in Jesus. It's in Jesus that we hear and see the work of the gospel. And through his perfect life, his sacrificial death for our sins, and his resurrection, can we again have a full relationship with God? You see, sin and death will no longer have a hold on us, and we can look forward 
to Christ's return where sin and death, pain and sorrow will be conquered once and for all. That's the hope our lament should center around. Church, in our laments, in our suffering, let us remember the hope that we have in Christ. He has conquered death. He has defeated sin. And he has promised he will return. And when he does return, all will be made right. May our laments in the middle of sorrow center around the hope in the return of Christ. At which time, those who are his and everything will be made right again. Sin will cease. Death will be no more. And we will live in right relationship with him again. This promise is true for all of those who are followers of Christ. And if you're not, please know that Christ is our fullest and greatest hope. In the middle of your sorrow, he cares for you. Surrender to him. Let him be your salvation. Because it's in him that we can hope and know that he will be with us. And that one day he will return to rescue us. Let's pray about that. Father, I am in awe of your faithfulness. Over and over and over again, you have proven yourself faithful. You have proven yourself to us. Lord, in our, in our sorrow, in our grief, may we look to you, running to you instead of away from you. Remind us of your faithfulness. Teach us to preach the gospel to ourselves. God, and may our hope center fully and completely on the fact that we can trust that you will return to make it right. I pray in your son's name. Amen.